0: If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on the account of... Of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge uh, after the image of its Creator. Uh, Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also may forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. With everything we do, in whatever situation we're in, whatever we're coming out uh, of this week and going into next, we just give you thanks. You are God Almighty and you've saved us and you've forgiven us and you've loved us and you've given us new lives and great joy. And I just pray for us, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us with your spirit, that, that our lives as a church and our lives as individuals would be marked with such profound love and thankfulness for you that our lives would be lived, taking off the old self, putting on the new, and that Jesus, that we would understand the great and grand freedom that you have purchased for us by forgiving us for our sins, by dying on the cross, and the life you've given us by raising from the dead, and that it is all a gift. And to that gift, we have a great response. Um, so Jesus, please be with us now. Guide us, lead us. Whatever's just of me, may it be just dust in the wind as it is, but the things that are of you, Lord, May they shine in our hearts, uh, not just to say it, but because we need it, and we need you, and we need your word to dwell in us richly. So we pray this for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, And some of you remember this summer we had... Brian McSwan from Legacy Church in Bellingham preach here. Uh, This is their first Sunday, so when we close, I'll I'll pray for them specifically. Uh, But I just want you guys to be praying for them. They are launching a new church in the middle of downtown Bellingham, which... Uh, I'm from Bellingham, so it's near and dear to my heart, but Bellingham is a dark and lost place uh, in need of the gospel, and so pray for those efforts. We were able to uh, give to them sort of some stuff that we had just in storage, uh, some kids ministry tables and sound stuff or whatever that we weren't, weren't using, and the hope is that they could take it, and then if they plant a church or if three-stranded network part of plants in the church, they can kind of keep moving that stuff around. Um, but please be praying for Brian and his family and his church as they launch this morning. Uh, today we'll be in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, today, as we look at this text, um, I think it's so important for us uh, not to forget. Last we looked at okay, so what is the gospel? Uh, and I think it's important for us not to forget um, that the gospel is not something dusty and sits on the shelf, but is to be responded to and lived out in our lives. The good news of Jesus, that God himself entered into human history, who, who, who came and lived and died and rose to make us his, uh, should actually flavor this community. It should flavor your life. Uh, it should flavor your family. It should flavor your house. Now uh, It should flavor the way you do your job, the way you love your kids, the way you have friends. It, it should flavor all of those things. And, and I think that flavor uh, is marked here in Colossians chapter 3, because I, I think sometimes we're stuck with this thing, and this has been the, one of those questions I've been trying to answer with my whole life. Cool, if Jesus did it all, now what do I do, right? And I think we have ditches, right? We have ditches we can sit in. One is sort of the propositional ditch, where we say, this is who you are. And these are true things, by the way, and these are propositions that I love. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus today, you, you are a loved child of God. You, you are forgiven. He, he loves you. You are his, and, and, and he is yours. And that's amazing. What does that mean Monday morning? What does that mean in, in the middle of everything? How do I actually do something? What do I do with it? And we're always quick to start doing. And the problem is is that we can skip over the propositional. This is who you are. And instead of doing what that thing should do in us, we start doing doing. We start doing stuff so God will love us. We start doing stuff because that's what good Christians are supposed to do or whatever. Uh, and, and this is no more true than when you see someone who's a brand new baby Christian, they come into church, they get saved, and you say, okay, great, you're a Christian. And then what we tend to do is be like, well, I have these, this stack of books you should read, and you should start doing these other things. And, and, and yeah, we want them to grow and to be discipled and the word of Christ to dwell in them richly, and that's the point and that's the aim. But if we're not careful, what it feels like is, cool, you got saved by grace, the, the Lord of the universe died on a cross to forgive you for your sins, and it's a gift to you, and now get to work, Right? Uh, but it's not actually get to work, it's get to respond. Uh, it, it's that, 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 that we're so fundamentally changed at who we are that the doing that we're doing uh, is the drinking and breathing and eating and living as a new person. And I'll show you that I'm not just making this stuff up. It's right here in the text, uh, which is important because the point of the sermon should be the point of the text. Uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. if, I know there is a game on but hopefully you've t-voted it because I'm going to stop at if for a bit before I get to the rest of the text. This if drives this whole paragraph. Because if the if doesn't count for you, the, the everything that comes after this is nothing. It's for naught. If, if then you have been raised with Christ... If you have not been raised with Christ, if you have not met Jesus, if you do not know who He is, you need to know Him. You need to love Him. You need to understand that that God forgives us. That all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you don't know that, today's the day. But but here's this, listen. So, So how much is this not, oh cool, you're a Christian, now hit cruise control. It's something so bigger and grander. If then you have been raised with Christ, I thought I said the sinner's prayer and I just get to be a Christian. What do you mean raised with Christ? If we, if you are, I am a Christian, you are, the the reality is so profound of what has happened to us by the blood of Jesus on his cross and the power of his resurrection that you are spoken of as someone who's been risen from the dead. That, That you're so profoundly different as a Christian by the gift that is the grace of God that he can say something as crazy as if you've been raised from the dead. I mean, these are the things, you know, coming back to the propositional truth, I mean, I can go my whole day without thinking I've been raised from the dead. But, but, but see, that it's not, just, it's not just a proposition. It's not just an idea. You're not just sort of raised from the dead and then you go on with the rest of your life. That's it, an ongoing reality if you've been had this resurrection experience. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seek the things of heaven. Seek the things of God. Classic phrase that people love to say. You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you could be of no earthly good. And to that, a great preacher that no one listens to, and it's kind of weird to be honest with you, but... There it is. Leonard Ravenhill said, I think our problem is that we're so earthly minded that we could be of no heavenly good. And by that he meant that we can be so into the stuff, the, the rat race, the, the making, the, the stuff that counts. It does count. The, the making the money, the doing life, the taking care of your family, that we forget that we are citizens of another kingdom. And that kingdom of God is making, being made manifest now in this little room with this little group where a whole city cares about a football game. I mean... Never forget that there's a there's a being to this, that the kingdom of God is being manifest among us now. There's a few of us got together and just had coffee and chatted and checked. And the kingdom of God is now that God is manifesting his presence with us now that his people are indwelt by the spirit. God is with us now that God is on the move now. And the reality of the gospel is moving now if then you've been raised, if you've had this dramatic, ongoing reality experience, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Because if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, why wouldn't you want more of that? It doesn't take much for me to want more of something. I can get to the bottom of the whole pint of salted caramel ice cream that I shouldn't have eaten, and I'm done and I'm ready for more. Maybe that's just me. Um, I'm not hungry for more push-ups. I'm hungry for more ice cream. right? But that thing is so, so mute compared to the glory of God and who He is. And, and here are these things that Paul just rolls out from there. If then you've been, if then you've been raised with Christ. So that's the whole thrust of this, this whole uh, couple of paragraphs in the English. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If you have Jesus, get more Jesus. Where Christ is... Seated at the right hand of God. He's on the throne. He's ruling. He's reigning. Uh, This seated image is a Jewish kind of metaphor. He's seated. The work is done. I think what Paul's doing is leaning in Psalm 110, uh, which is the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, right now, Jesus is seated, ruling, and reigning, and the work is done. And sometimes we can look around and say, It doesn't feel like the work is done, Jesus. This is done? Well, it's sort of done. He's seated, he's ruling, he's reigning, and he's waiting until the Father puts all things under his feet. But, but the, the doneness is the finishedness of the cross. Everything has happened that needs to happen, uh, and, and he's on the move. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So he's ruling, he's reigning. So two, set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. We should be after different stuff. Right? Our lives should weird people out. We should have joy in suffering. We should treasure and and value Jesus in the middle of the mess in a way that makes people uneasy. makes people uneasy around us that we could still have joy in darkness. It makes people uneasy around us that the the bottom line is not our bottom line. That career is not the ultimate thing in your life. Yeah, you're not weird because you're a Christian, so you know you're here and you have to take care of your family and you have to do things and your career is important. But it's not the important, overriding, dramatic factor in our lives. It's just part of what we do. Listen. For you have died. Well, that's kind of morbid. Not really. Because uh, he started with raised. I like that. He started with raised. Now he's a dead. But you're, you died. That's, that's how dramatic. That's how different we are in Christ. He uses his language. Paul's going to use his language all the time. Over and over again. Dead race. Dead race. Dead race. How much Paul must feel that. How much Paul must feel that difference, that he thought that he was living this life of even faithfulness and good works to God, getting after Christians, trying to stop them doing what they were doing, has that encounter with Jesus and his whole life has changed, how different he must feel and how much different he knows they are and you are and I am. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, he's coming back. Uh, Acts chapter 1. He goes up. They're all standing there looking. Because, by the way, I mean, I don't have time to preach Acts chapter 1, but I think we get Acts chapter 1 wrong. We spend most of our time talking about how the the disciples are idiots uh, in Acts chapter 1. Because they're like, look, Jesus ascended. And they're looking up, and the angel comes and says, men of Galilee, why are you looking up in heaven? We're like, see, they don't get it. Next time you're standing next to someone, and they go up in the sky without any ropes, airplanes, or other accoutrement, and the clouds cover them up, and you're not standing there going like this, I'm going to say, why aren't you going like this? (laughs) That was weird. That doesn't happen every day. We are supernaturalists, but we don't, just because we're supernaturalists doesn't mean that we think things like that happen every day. Jesus ascending into heaven, right? Uh, but they said, what are you doing? He's coming back. That way. By the way, he's going to have a big white horse next time. This will be awesome. They don't say that. It's not in the text. But it's implied when you get to the end. I read that into the text. That's my fault. For you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory, as, as we're, we're who we've built, been built and saved to be. Verse 5. Okay, so this is reality. He set us up with a reality. But he set us up with not just a propositional reality, with a this-is-who-you-are reality. You're the people, I'm a person, whose life is hid with Christ on high, who's seated ruling and reigning, and I'm new and so are you. And it's not just propositional. It's, it's part of us now. Right? It should, like I said, make people uncomfortable. Put to death, therefore, I would like therefore to be before put to death, but hey, they're trying to squeeze it in. Therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Now, he's gonna, now here, you've got to watch these things. So, so Paul's going to give us a couple of what are called vice lists. Now, we live in Seattle in 2015, 2016 now. Uh vice has almost become like a good word. Vice used to be a bad word. It was not a good thing. And he's going to give us these lists. Now, Paul will give us these lists around and elsewhere. And it's really important for us to understand some here, stuff here. As Christians, we're not what are called antinomianists. Nomianists. We're not anti-law. Paul will often talk about the law as a bad thing. When he talks about the law... Or even really, honestly, there's kind of this giant debate with some giant figures in the church. Martin Luther, John Calvin. Is the law good or is the law bad? Is the law good or is the law bad? Now, when Paul always talks about the law, he's always thinking of Torah. He's always thinking of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's always thinking about the, the rituals and the rules. And so, Marty... Martin Luther were on a first name basis. Now you read enough of a guy's sermons and you get to be on a first name basis with him even if he's been dead for many, many years. So Marty and Johnny get to have this conversation. Marty says the law is bad. Johnny says the law is good. And this sort of flavors the families they start, the Lutherans and the Presbyterians. But I digress. So the question is, is the law good or the law bad? Well, the Baptist, not Presbyterian or Lutheran, the Baptist answer is yes. The law is good and the law is bad. The law is good, and I think this is the message of Galatians. The law is good in its time. God made a promise to Abraham, and He said, "Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless the nations." I think right there in Genesis 12, God has in mind a worldwide family. This is why we send, uh, uh, why we why we support a church plan in India. This is why. We, we care about and pray for uh, global missions around the world. This is why these things are important to us because God gave us something to do, which is really fulfilled in the Great Commission. Go, therefore, make disciples to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we have this Genesis 12 reality, and then laid atop that, God, in His grace, in a progression towards Jesus, administers there's a fancy word. He relates to people in different ways at different times. Everyone's saved the same way through Jesus and through His blood. But there's a time and a place where God uses this thing, the Torah, the law, to mark out his people, and that's how in faith they respond to him. That's how in that time and in that place, they show the world we belong to this God. We belong to the God of the Bible. He's given us this stuff to do. Uh, This is why Antiochus Epiphanes IV, which is fun to say, what you need to know is he's just a guy who took over Palestine Israel at one point in time. When he's trying to stop them from being the people of God, in, you know, the 160s BC? He says, no, no celebrating Sabbath, no reading the Bible, and don't go to temple. Don't do those things. Because those are the things they're called to do in the Torah. And he thinks, if I can get these people to stop doing this, they're not going to be the marked out, these special marked out people of God. Now, the thing is, is that in that time, God had a mechanism, which was the sacrificial system, which is evangelical Christians kind of freaks us out because there's turtle doves and goats. And we just sort of like imagine being in the petting zoo at Woodland Park. And we're like, Ooh, I don't know, this is weird, but God had a mechanism to deal with sin, and that was animal sacrifice. Now, that all was pointing forward to Jesus, who would be the perfectly marked out one, who would be that last sacrifice, and that thing is over. That administration, that that way God was relating to people is over. Now, why do I say all that? Goats and stuff. Weird, right? It's because you need to know where you are on the map that is redemptive history. We live in a time and a place where we're under the administration of grace and under the law of Christ. So everything that was under there. So when when you live in Seattle and someone says, well, you think this is wrong? Well, in that same chapter that says you shouldn't do this, then it's got this whole thing about not eating shellfish. Have you ever had shellfish? And you say, yeah, I've had shellfish. They're like, well, why don't you do all the stuff that the Bible says? And people often use this as a criticism of Christians. Well, you know, uh, the televangelist, he's, he's saying you can't have tattoos, which is not what the verse in Leviticus is talking about, by the way. Uh, he's saying you can't have tattoos, but he's got a poly-cotton blend. You can't mix fabrics. Look, Christians are all hypocrites. The reality is we're under a different administration. That was all fulfilled in Christ. And we have what's, I'm going to use one more big word, and then I'm going to jump right into this vice list, I promise. We hold what's called an abrogated view, which just means that whatever Christ didn't restate is gone. So the whole shellfish stuff, gone. That great scene in the book of Acts, Peter, rise, kill, and eat, which is like, what a cool thing to say, rise, kill, and eat some bacon, dot, 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 put it in parentheses in your translation, Peter, rise, kill, and eat some bacon, and he says, God, I've never never eaten what's unclean, and God says, by the way, I'm the one who says what's clean and unclean, eat some bacon, red Mill, giant stack of bacon, get after it, Peter, or whatever, Sausage. You don't have to eat meat to be a Christian by any stretch. You can be a vegan Christian. You're free in Christ to do that. I'm not. <clears throat> Anyways, okay. So I say all that to say, but I thought the gospel said that Jesus paid the price for all our sins and he did everything and I don't have to do anything. What this is about, what Paul's going to get into is the if... If then you have been raised with Christ, then this is how we respond and this is how we live. This is how new people live because you're not people of the earth anymore. You're people of heaven. You just happen to be living on earth. You're people of the kingdom of God. Uh, The the earth, of course, that he's going to restore. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you or the parts of you that are earthly, the stuff of you that is the you that you were before you were a Christian. Okay, and he's going to give this list. Sexual morality, Purity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And, and we could go through and we could take apart the vices, but I don't really think that's what Paul's after here. I I, I, th- I don't think that you, the the point here is that you can look at this and say, Oh, I'm 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 going to give myself a grade. I, I'm covetous. I'm pretty covetous, so I get a B on covetousness. But you know. Evil desire, I'm not really an evil desire kind of guy. So I'm doing some of this stuff, but not some of this stuff or or whatever. Uh, that's not the point. He, he's saying there's this life that's different than what God has intended. There's life different than what Jesus has built. This life that is self-centered and about you. Then there's this other way of living. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So what he's saying is if if we live in a time and a place, like I said, vice is a good word now, right? I don't know if they publish anywhere, but when I was before I was a Christian, they, vice magazine. Awesome mag- skater magazine, graffiti magazine, or whatever. Read it, right? You're going to call a thing vice on purpose? They used to have a vice squad that got after bad stuff, and now we're calling stuff, we're saying what's bad is good, and what's good is bad. And that's where we are at. And, and this is not a surprise to Colossians. What he's, what he's after here then is, the wrath of God is coming. God will judge the things of the world, and He will take care of it. We all want justice. And we all want wrath. We just want it pointed at the things we think it should be pointed at. Some bakers in Portland get hit with a $150,000 fine and everyone claps and cheers as their civil rights are being crushed. Get them because they have a bad attitude about something I don't like. Crush them. Now if you find somebody else $150,000 you'd be like, oh, the the humanity, the injustice. We don't mind wrath. We don't mind that that could literally crush this family of six living in war again we don't mind that it could bankrupt them and take everything away because they didn't want to make a cake as long as we're behind the thing that's crushing them so it's not that people don't mind wrath you know as people are celebrating there's some wrath there we just don't like it pointed at the things we don't think it should be pointed at god is saying these things the wrath on these account of these things the wrath of god is coming God will judge the unjust. And, and for those of us who are Christian, the wrath of God has come and has been poured out on Jesus, and he has paid the price for our sins as we did these things. Now, okay, I say all that to, point, to look at what Paul's doing. Okay, this is neat. I had to do all that setup up because it's complicated, but this is really good. Okay, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's imperative. Do this. Get rid of the stuff. Get rid of the junk. Clean out the house from the person you used to be. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. But verse 7 says this. In these things you once walked. Wait. Am I putting stuff to death, or are these things put to death? Paul, you're confusing me. Uh, You need to revisit your grammar. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. In these things you too once walked. Okay, just hold that... Bookmark that in your mind and, and then I'll, we'll get back to it. Okay, And these things you too once walked. So don't be proud and don't be arrogant. Do what you're supposed to do and continue to say under the cross of Jesus Christ, there's room here for us all. all. who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In these things you too once walked. when you were living in, When you were living in them. Okay. Put to death... You were living in them, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Paul, I'm confused. Is it stuff I used to do or stuff I don't do anymore? Is this what I am, who I was? What is happening? I think he's doing this on purpose. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It is the thing we do. But the reason you can't even put your sin to death is because these were the things that you once walked. These were once the default mode of your life. They are no longer the default mode of your life. The default mode of our life is Jesus, is the gospel, is following him and the reality of him. But now you must put them all away. It gives us another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, Obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, saying that you've put off the old self. Make sure you've done it. Make sure you've put that old self away. Make sure that the, the, the stuff of you is different now. You are a different person and live that way. And we are in the act of this is who you now are, not just propositionally forgiven, true, but in your being raised from the dead who you are. You are a raised from the dead person and as a raised from the dead person, you don't do dead stuff anymore. You don't do the dead stuff anymore and it turns out when you get raised from the dead in this way, there's still a bunch of dead stuff living around in your life. And so you take that stuff and you put it in the garbage can. You take that stuff and you get rid of it. But you need to see this all in response. For example, anger, wrath, malice, there are a lot of things to be angry at in the world. We need to understand that it's be angry and do not sin. It's not wrong to be angry at sin. It's not not wrong, but when you're hanging on to it, when you're living in that, when that root of bitterness, as Paul's going to talk about in Ephesians, when that's part of who you are, that's got to go. Because we even understand when someone has sinned against you, as angry as you can be uh, for them, sinning against you, that's ongoing you need to remember who you were and how much you've been forgiven. How angry other people really deserve to be at me or you. I've done some things that really deserve people's anger, God's anger for sure, but really deserve someone hanging on me like that guy is a jerk. True. This is not the "I'm a perfect guy" show. It's the "Not a perfect man" show. Show? No, it's the Jesus show. Let's drop show. You say something and then you start trying to dig yourself out, and you say, let's just back up a few lines. Anyways. Not a perfect man. Proven. (laughs) But the reality is is that that instead of taking that anger that, that now is about me, you know, we get so angry when people disturb our kingdoms. Right? I'm sleeping. I have somewhere to be, and I left with the exact right or a few minutes less time that I needed to get to the place I needed to go, and you are slowing down in front of me in your car, and you will suffer my wrath because I need to get where I need to get, because of course that person in the car in front of you doesn't need to get where they need to get either. Right? I've had a bad day. Well, you've had a bad day. What about your poor waitress? Why'd you get mad at her? Why did you do that? Why did you act out the anger and wrath? And in fact, what we're doing here is we're taking off the old self and we're putting on the new. We take all that stuff that used to be about us at the center and we turn that back in around on ourselves and get after ourselves. And I think that we should be getting after our own sin and the taking off the old self and putting on the new with such veracity and intensity uh, that the only thing we have left for everybody else is love, forgiveness, and kindness. That's what we're built to do as we're taking off the old self and putting on the new. Because listen to this. Um, do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. Make sure you've done this. Because hear this. Which is being renewed. You're, you're changed, you're new, you're risen, and you're being renewed. And the knowledge after the image of its creator. God is re- Shaping you right now. That's painful and frustrating, by the way, sometimes. He's reshaping you from the self centered, angry, or lying, or stealing, or whatever thing you fill in that blank. He's reshaping you and me in the image of His Son to be the person we actually are. Confusing grammar. He's reshaping us to be the person we actually are. Because this is who you actually are in Christ. You're risen. He's reshaping you to be a risen person. He's remolding you and changing you. You are the new. That's why you can take off the old self and put on the new. But that's only possible because of the new. That's why he's got this confusing thing here, right? Five and seven. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you because in these things you once walked. But now make sure you've done it. which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here. Here. There's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythicun, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. These are one of those, verse 11 is important because Could anyone point to me on a map where the Scythicans lived? Do you know what a Scythican is? I didn't do my homework on that word. I don't know either. And it doesn't matter. Because that's not the point of Paul's verse. He's actually saying something profound here that we can kind of miss as Gentiles because we don't really think of ourselves as Gentiles very often. Here there is not Greek nor Jew circumcised or uncircumcised. There used to be, before the Christ event, this clear demarcation between the people of God, who are the people of God and who are not. And at that point in time, it was generally speaking, really, really, really prominently generally speaking, ethnically attached to Israel. And they did these things, like, circumcision. And they did these things like they wouldn't eat with people they wouldn't eat with. And this happens even... This happens in the Joseph story. You you know that in... uh, Sometimes we miss it at the end of Genesis. Joseph, they get... Joseph's brothers are at a table and Joseph's at a table and Joseph's brothers don't know it's their brother. They just think he's some weird Egyptian guy. Uh, But they bring food to Joseph and they bring food to those... His brothers and then the Egyptians eat different food. Because that's how people rolled back then. We're Egyptians, you're not. You don't get... You get to be the governor, but you don't get to eat McDonald's with us. (laughs) Interesting, right? That's how how grand and great the dividing walls were. It wasn't different for the Jews in that sense. And what he's saying is all that stuff is gone. Classic example. Onesimus is a slave. He's from this particular city that we're reading this book from. Uh, There's sort of an appendix to Colossians called Philemon. It's a letter from Paul to Philemon, where Onesimus, this runaway slave, uh, says, hey, by the way, anything wrong he's done? So Onesimus runs away, meets Paul in prison, gets saved. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon to make things right, and Onesimus ends up being one of the pastors, it seems, from the historical record in Colossae. That's weird, right? That means we don't have this situation now. That means, like, let's say uh, a CEO of a company was part of our church, and the janitor was part of the church, right? And they're in here together. And they're in this room. So they even see each other. It's not like they can, like, sit across the thing, like, I'm the janitor, I'm just over here, and I'm the CEO, and it's embarrassing because the janitor's over there. And maybe the CEO, maybe he's a really nice guy, but shouldn't be a pastor in the church. Maybe he's just not ready. Let's say that. The janitor, however, who's doing his thing, man, that guy should be a pastor. And he becomes a pastor in the church. He becomes one of the elders in the church. That means in the church, there's no time in which that guy should be preaching, the janitor. And the CEO says, well, I'm not going to listen to him. He's just a janitor. The, that strata's gone, right? That's not how it works here. Guys like Ananias who are slaves, can be the pastor. This is different than the world, Right? When the janitor becomes the CEO, which we still believe can happen in America, but doesn't, I mean, that's, this doesn't happen, right? Like, we make movies about it, because it's the American dream and we love it. Other countries, no one thinks that that's gonna happen at all. You know, here it's like a one in a million, one in a bazillion. It weirds people out and makes people uncomfortable. I digress. Put on then. Oh wait. Oh. But Christ is, is all and in all. Jesus is everything. Okay, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So, this is what you do. So, so Christianity is not a message that says, here's the vice list, stop doing those things, and you'll be a good Christian. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you're new, so don't do dead stuff anymore. But the way that you stop doing the dead stuff is turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. Turning from the ways of the world and turning to the ways of the kingdom. So, so it's not just taking stuff off. It's putting stuff on. Put on then as God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Well, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Of course he doesn't deserve to be forgiven, neither do you, but you've been forgiven, so forgive him. You don't deserve the forgiveness you've been given by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's called a gift. That's why it's called grace. Now, does that mean we don't respond to the gift? Well, it's a gift, so I don't have to do anything. You're right, right? You you may have this friend. This friend might be me. You know, sometimes, I'm putting this one to death in my own life. Someone will come, I'll change it so it's not about me. Because then it's a humble brag, so I'll change and tell a different illustration. So you need help on your house. You don't want to inconvenience people, so you don't ask everybody to come roof your house. You can get up there and try and do it all on your own. Now, you might be the guy who will go to everybody else's house and roof their house. And you're like, You go on inside, you put on your slippers, watch TV, I got it, I'm going to flip on some journey and I'm going to roof this house then it's your turn. And you need the help. And your roof is leaking. No, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. I got it, I got it, I got it. I got it. We don't want the reciprocity. Uh, you know, oh, you, you come to my house and I, you give me a gift. Well, I better give you a gift before you leave. The reality is you didn't come to my house to give me a gift so I give you a gift right back. You didn't come so I could re-gift you something else. Right, if you're a Christian, it's likely that you came to give me a gift to give me a gift. Now, does that mean I can't respond to that gift? Does that mean I can't say thank you and have a heart of joy and gladness and, and, a, and a kind sentiment towards you? Or even if I'm like, oh, and I have this other thing you should have. But not because you gave me the gift, but just because my, my heart's overflowing with love. You've been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ and given new life. It's a gift. A gift to be responded to. Now. If you come over and bring me a gift, and I say, this is a crappy gift. I don't like this gift at all. This is not a good gift. This is a bad gift. And I'm rude about it. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not good, right? Like, or I'm just going to prove to you, I'm going to prove to you how serious of a Christian I am. Jesus is my only joy. You come and you bring me a nice gift, and I put it in the fire because Jesus is my only joy. Maybe you know that Christian, or maybe not. I do. Uh, they don't actually put it in the fire, but they... Here, I brought you some ice cream. Well, you know, the real... You might desire... By the time you get to the bottom of that salted caramel ice cream, you're just going to want more. You really need Jesus. Well, yeah, but you can just enjoy the ice cream, man. Like, it's a (laughs) gift from Jesus. Chill out. Above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This should be the thing that marks our church. Love. Love. I think one of the challenges that we've had as Seattleites is that when you get to know Anchor Church, you know this is a church marked by love. As Seattleites, we're not always good at being, like, the warmest, welcoming, loving. We're loving, but, like, we're Seattleites, and so we come and we don't, like, say hi and stuff. Like, it's weird. This is not a big church room. (laughs) Like, this is not a big meeting space that we have, Uh, you know, we can see each other. <laughs> like, it's okay to to not be Seattleites in this. To set your minds on the things of the kingdom and not on the earth, and be warm and friendly. It's okay. Uh, my concern is always that it takes people too long to get to know how warm and friendly we are because we're so Seattle sometimes. Like, hey. <laughs> <It's> Christians? Yeah. <laughs> cool but I digress. I think that's our world rubbing off on us. Oh man, this is good. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body. That's you and me together. The peace of Christ is not Zen meditation or not being freaked out about your life circumstances. The peace of Christ is knowing that you've been loved and forgiven and accepted by God and that even when things go really south they can't actually go that south because you have Jesus to which indeed you are called to one body and be thankful let the word oh man let the word of Christ dwell in you richly this is the Bible right we're Bible people we love the Bible teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, which means that our whole life in church should be marked with this joy and thankfulness because the thing is that in Jesus we've been given absolutely everything. You name something Jesus hasn't given you, really. You can say, well, He didn't give me that Porsche I asked for. Well, maybe he gave you love because the thing you didn't need was the Porsche. You've been forgiven, loved. You've been given God's family. You've been given God's, you're part of his team and his family. And whatever happens in this world is a light, momentary passing affliction compared to what comes in the world next. The reward that is coming where we get to live our lives with Jesus face to face together in a renewed heavens and new earth. You have everything in Jesus. And so whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed, the things you say or the things you do, do them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be a set-apart people. We should be weird. Your coworkers should know you're a Christian. Uh, It should be odd the way that you interact in Seattle. I think, I know, you know, as Christians in 2016, I think we're, so, we're still just like living the legacy of Ned Flanders that we spend our whole lives trying to prove to people we're not that kind of Christian, whatever that means. No, no, I can listen to Snoop Dogg. It's cool. That, that proved that you're not that other kind of Christian? Great. That record came out like 20 years ago, man. Oh, I didn't know. By that I mean sometimes we spend so much time to be like, no, 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 I'm not square. We spend so much time doing these things that we miss just plain things like, I don't know, obscene talk from your mouth. Look, watch me go. Wow. You know, I, I think we should be, so, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm just saying we should do all those things differently. We should, we should do absolutely everything, everything. We should touch every single facet of our lives differently. And so as a church, we should be so marked by this, by love and and then our being that just oozes out of our our meeting together and our life together and and the stuff that we do together that's not stuff that's on the calendar together, right? But it's not one or the other. It's a both and. It's taking off the old, putting on the new, and living this whole life in thanks and thankfulness to God. Uh, in a moment, we're going to take communion. This is how we offer our thanks and thankfulness to God. This is one of the ways that we are marked out as the people of God. We, we come together and we, as the people of God, open the word. We live our lives. We sing our songs and we take communion. Uh, we do this, in, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We do this remembering that we are marked out risen people, that his body broke this is his body broken and bloodshed for us, that we are forgiven, redeemed, changed, risen people. And so when we do this, we do this in joy and thanksgiving. It's why it's called Eucharist by some. This is a thankfulness thing. This isn't a this is how sinful I am and I feel bad about it. We we look at our sin and we take off the old man, we look at our sin, and we consider our sin, we take off the old man and we put on the new, and as the new man we come up here as people who have done our work with God. Apologize for our sin, repented, and we come up and take this in thankfulness because this is who we are. We are the people of God, forgiven, loved, cleansed by His blood. And so when you're ready, when you've taken your time, when you've talked to Jesus, we, we come up and we take this. There's gluten-free on the far side. There's gluten plus in the middle. Bread wine and juice, according to your conscience, in a basket for the work of the ministry. So we, in a moment, when we get up, we're going to come up and be marked out as the people who are thankful to God, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and, and responding to this word and the reality of what he's done and who we are now by coming and taking this, dipping it in the cup. And, uh, yeah. and then we'll stand up and we'll sing when you're ready. I will pray for us. Uh, King Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for today. We thank you that we're risen people, that, that we're empowered by your spirit to take off the old man and put on the new. Uh, that we're different, we're changed. The, 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 the peace uh, that surpasses all understanding rules in our hearts because we've been made right with you. And I just pray for us that whatever we do, whether it's school or work or job or family or money, how we drive our car how we enjoy the city that you've given us as a gift, how we do these things for your glory, how we bring the good news, the gospel, to the ends of the earth and to the ends of Seattle. Lord Jesus, that we do all these things for your glory as a marked out, different, special, unique people. And we can only do that if, if, if your word dwells in our hearts richly and that we actually live out the life that you've already given to us. And so I pray that for us now, that you bless us, keep us, and help us. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.